You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, what goes through your mind when you hear that story that Carly read a little bit earlier in our service? The story of Abraham and Isaac walking up the mountain together without all of the necessary supplies to make a sacrifice. No doubt one of the most prominent themes in that passage is sacrifice and the willingness to do it. This last week, I saw a movie called The Martian. See what I just did there? I went from Genesis to Mars really, really quickly. Uh, the Martian that in part is, is a story of first a group of people that are willing to uh, sacrifice their lives to go and rescue a colleague that has been stranded on Mars. That anytime space gets involved, as my friend Jeremy Brenner uh, likes to say, he studied astronautics here at UW, he says, dude, space is hard. Which I'm like, yeah, that's profound. It is. Uh, they are obviously willing to risk their lives. But in this story, in order for them to do it, it's going to take over 500 days um, on their mission to go and, and have even the opportunity to rescue their stranded uh, colleague on Mars. And it, to just show, show the ways that I'm shaped by my culture, it's one of those things where where I find myself going, man, you know, if I were in their shoes, would I be willing to die? Well, sure, but not if it's going to take 500 and some odd days, you know, that how much of us are willing, you know, it's almost easier to think about giving our lives than it is our time, okay? That's probably a different sermon. All that to say, I can be very, I, I'm inspired by sacrifice, by those who are willing to do it. And if sacrifice is one of the themes of our story in Genesis 22 today, I also have to admit, as a man, and certainly as a father in the 21st century, that, that before I find the story that we read earlier inspiring, I find it very troubling. One of those stories that makes us, squ makes us squirm a bit, and I can tell you why. First, I, I don't like the idea of God being the source of a test or a temptation. I, I, I can't necessarily put my finger on why it is that, that I'm okay with Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted or tested by the devil, but when God himself seems the source of the test, there's something that makes me a little uncomfortable. The second is that I really don't like the idea of a test that would require a father to sacrifice his son. Third, I really, really don't like the image of a father tying or binding a son and then taking a knife to him. Do you find this story troubling? When I asked that question this morning at the 8.30 service, there was somebody in the balcony that just goes, yes, <laughs> which, which I appreciated. And I got to tell you, I'm also troubled by the simple but popular application of this story that says that we just need to be like Abraham and be willing to take that which we love and sacrifice it. And I'm also troubled by a spirituality 
that weighs heavy man's or humanity's ability to do sacrifice properly. But thankfully, like any story in the Bible, there's a whole bunch more to it than merely what I think about it or what we think about it. And of course, our theme this year at UPC is not, you know, great trouble, great cynicism. No, it's great hope, great boldness. And so it makes sense to me that as we reflect on this story a little bit this evening, let's ask this story questions of hope and questions of boldness of Abraham, Isaac, and indeed God. But before we get into asking those questions of hope and boldness, I think it's important that we acknowledge this seemingly bizarre interaction that Abraham and God have is filled with mixed messages. Now, perhaps you've had a little bit of experience in, in trying to navigate mixed messages. Maybe you've been on, on either side of the equation. Maybe you've dropped this line before. Maybe you've heard it. But it's often said, uh, I, I think parents use it most of the time, though I admit I've sometimes used it as a boss as well. The, uh, the line, do as I say, not as I. Okay, you guys have heard the line. See, that indicates to me that at some point you've dealt with the reality of mixed message. That's a line that usually comes out when maybe you're not doing something that you want somebody else to do. It's also those, those times when maybe there's a, a friend, a spouse, a colleague, somebody in your life that you care about that their body language just says, you know, something's off. They're feeling a little bit down uh, and you can just tell that something isn't right. And in your observant and compassionate best, you walk up to them and say, you know, hey, is everything all right? What's going on? And they just go, nothing. It's a mixed message. Clearly something is off, and yet there is a discrepancy in what the person is, is saying. As I was preparing for this, I, I found an essay on the online dating website eHarmony that noted that the, if the most important aspect in developing trust in a relationship, or in this case, a romance, um, if the most important thing is to build trust, there's no greater obstacle to building trust than mixed messages. Well, perhaps even more so than the sacrifice, I think what would have been most troubling for Abraham is the whole mixed message that was delivered in this um, ask that God gives Abraham. Okay, let's recap where we've been a little bit over the past several weeks. Abraham was told back in Genesis 12 that he would be blessed to be a blessing and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, even though Abraham was far too old to even think about having children and his wife Sarah was unable to, he takes matters into his own hands in Genesis 16 and conceives a son with Hagar. And if for those of you that were listening carefully to Carly, maybe you caught the mixed message even right there. When, when verse 2 says, take your son, your only son, Abraham had more than just one son. More than just Isaac, we had the whole incident with Hagar and Ishmael, already a mixed message. 
And then, of course, the story continues that Abraham and Sarah do have a son, their son Isaac, the only son that they have together. And this now seems to put the promise back in play. Here is the son that will help us realize all these promises that God has made. And now the big mix message is this son is the one I'm being asked to offer up, the one I'm being asked to sacrifice. I'm pretty sure it would be Abraham thinking, wait, wait, now what about the whole thing about the stars in the sky? And my descendants being as numerous as them and, and Sarah having this child when it was against all odds and seemed impossible. And now you want me to do what? The mixed message would have been troubling for Abraham. And yet in Romans 4, the apostle Paul notes that against all hope, Abraham in hope believed so became the father of many nations. I want to spend the balance of our time reflecting on this sense of hope and the boldness that comes out of it. But before we do it, I do that, I think it's important for us to remember the definition of hope that George gave us a few weeks ago. He defined hope as taking action today on the basis of what God has promised tomorrow. Hope is taking action today based on what God has promised tomorrow. So what was Abraham's hope? Abraham's hope is that God, uh, on, on the one hand, is that God would not hold against him perhaps his former lack of faith. And of course, his hope is that he was, that, that God would provide an alternative to offering and sacrificing Isaac. As Abraham is leaving his servants and his animals in the story that we read, he says, stay here uh, with the donkey and the supplies while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Clearly, there's an expectation that we will be back. Later on, of course, Abraham articulates a more specific hope um, when questioned by Isaac. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, on that mountain, the Lord will provide. Abraham has a hope, a hope that somehow this is going to work out. Now, here's what I wanted to alert us to about this hope. When we think about the definition that George gave us as, as taking action today based on the promises for tomorrow, often understanding those promises requires us to first look back, as it did with Abraham. Abraham would look back and remember some of those things that we've already talked about. He would remember the promise that has been made to him about the descendants. He would remember that God has brought into being things that were previously not there, things that are seemingly impossible to get there, like this very son, Isaac. Essentially, his hope is that God will do it again. You see, Abraham's hope is a developed hope based on the experience and the relationship that he has had with God in the past. Which leads us to, what's Isaac's hope? Well, I think Isaac's hope is twofold. First off, a really important contextual note. Uh, in the Old Testament, while the Old Testament condemns child sacrifice, child sacrifice was actually very common in the ancient Near East at the time that, uh, that this all goes down. 
uh, it, was, it was common for people to offer up child sacrifices to atone for the sins of the community, which is why I say it wouldn't necessarily be jarring for Isaac to get this message. He's seen it, or I'm sorry, Abraham to get this message to sacrifice his son because he's seen it around him his entire life. Uh, so Isaac's, Isaac's hope might be that as an, his father Abraham, as an established man, it might be that he was going, this is my role. As, as his son, I'm going to, to go and participate in the sacrifice on behalf of the entire community. Maybe this is the great contribution that I give to this community. One wonders if that's what Isaac was thinking. Or this. Is Isaac's hope in a loving father? You know, at the beginning of the chapter that, that we read, when the Lord notes that Abraham is to offer his son, his only son, whom he loves. That's the first time that that word is used in the Bible. If this is the case, this story that is so troubling for me becomes a little bit more beautiful. It's becoming redeemed. Isaac's hope, you see, is in the one who hopes in God. Isaac's hope is, is in the love that he has experienced from his father. It's in the love that a child experiences from a caring parent. And that whole concept is being introduced and developed right here in Genesis 22. And I believe that it is in part that love that Isaac knew from a father that would keep him walking with his father up that hill. As I said earlier, I am a father to three boys, the oldest of whom is seven years old. And I sure hope that my son's sense and know and experience uh, how much I love them. I think, they're, I think they're pretty fantastic. But I'm also the first one to stand in front of you and confess that, you know, the ways that I, I try and express that affection and that love to them, I'm often very clumsy in doing it. And yet they are on board. My boys kind of take my word for it, whatever it may be. I tell them that the Huskies are better than the Ducks, and they believe it regardless of what the scoreboard says. I tell them, I show them how to, how to swing a golf club or, or cast a, a fishing line, and, and though I'm not really that good at either one of those two things, my boys are totally on board with me. And I hope it's because there's been some sort of a sense of love and trust that's been developed that they just are kind of on board with whatever it may be. And that's kind of what I imagine is in play here. That Isaac has a firm basis to have a, a real hope in his father. And I think even the evidence of the text is God acknowledges your only son, whom you love, helps us understand that. It alerts us to it. So that's the hope of Isaac in the love of his father. 
There's one more hope I want to talk about. Not just the hope of Abraham, not just the hope of Isaac, but indeed the hope of God. Now, I think this is significant. Certainly based on stories I've heard as a pastor, conversations I've had with students over the year, and no doubt how I've thought about God. You see, I think God is hoping here. I think God is hoping for Abraham. Though God is testing Abraham, I think God is hoping he somehow passes. He's rooting for him. You see, there's been times in my own life and my own faith where, uh, where when I think about a God that would test, I think about this figure that is kind of sitting there tapping his fingers together going, are you going to do it? Are you going to be good enough? Are you going to pass the test? A God that is, is kind of trying to rib us a little bit and that if he wanted to is looking for reasons to squash us. That's not what this text is about. And that's not what this test is about. What this shares with us a whole bunch more is a God that is indeed hoping for Abraham, hoping for Isaac. And I think in this test, God is hoping somehow that Abraham can experience the blessing and experience more of a God who gives life, not takes it away. So I invite you even tonight to, with this question, what is the image of God that you have? Is it an image of a vindictive God that is out to get you, or is it the image of a hopeful God, a God that is rooting for you. To my mind's eye, it makes a lot of sense that if we are people who, who have been created with the possibility, the creativity to hope, that if we are created in the image of God, it seems that maybe we inherit part of that hopeful image, that God is also one who hopes. Well, if that's the case, then what about the boldness? Where is the boldness that we see on the part of these characters? First, Abraham's boldness. As if walking up the mountain is not bold enough, Abraham then binds Isaac. Even in the midst of knowing what it means to make this type of offering, that there would be a death involved, he doesn't see an adequate substitute and so Abraham boldly binds his son, whom he loves, and likely does so in faith and in trust. Now, I can't imagine what could, this could be like. One commentator I read suggests that the, the best contemporary image that we might have to, to really understanding this would be of a parent that is commissioning or sending a child into military service to fight in a war. Okay, think about what that process involves. There, there is a sense of, hey, we are going to serve the greater good. That, that if, if somebody is going off to, to fight in a, in a noble cause, hopefully there is a sense of, I'm going to serve the greater good. And yet there is always a prevailing hope that, that the mission can somehow be accomplished without, uh, you know, this beloved child having to die or anybody else having to die for that matter. It, perhaps it is a fair way for us to think about what this might be like for Abraham to have to bind his son. And yet there's a boldness there that I believe Abraham does in faith. Well, next would be this, Isaac's boldness. 
I think Isaac's boldness is simply that he takes it. I'm convinced that because Abraham is so old at the time of this story, and, and that Isaac would have been of an age that, that, that were he compelled, if he did not trust his father, he could have easily fought back and overwhelmed his father. But in this case, Isaac doesn't even offer a substitute. And perhaps what I have often thought was a, a, a toxic passivity is actually a strength rooted in, in the love of his father and the faith of that his father has demonstrated in the promises of God. Isaac's boldness is simply that he doesn't fight back. Finally, there's God's boldness. Through an angel of the Lord, God's boldness is seen that after binding Isaac, Abraham then takes a knife as his son is laid out and he's getting ready to bring that knife down and to, to fulfill on this thing that he was given when an angel of the Lord says, stop, do not lay a hand on the boy. It's a bold intercession on the part of God. God boldly says, no, 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 no. This is not the type of relationship we are going to be in. This is not the type of covenant that we are going to be in. I, it is God boldly saying, I've not come to take life, I've come to give it. It's God boldly interceding to say, yes, I will provide. It's God boldly interceding to say, yes, I will rescue you and I will rescue the boy. It's a bold intercession on the part of God. And so the story that I find so troubling perhaps is necessary because it engaged my emotions. It got me, it got me thinking, this seems horrific, but it is a device that helped me understand the great love of a parent for a child, of a child for a parent, and understanding that that's the way that God loves us as well. You see, in this moment, what God is saying is, you don't have to sacrifice your son. Why? Because I'm going to take care of that for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, this message that has been mixed go and sacrifice your son, actually becomes clear in the cross of Jesus Christ in the way that God says, look, there's no distance that I wouldn't go to say I love you. And then he proves it again three days later in Jesus' glorious resurrection. You see, we serve a God that takes dead things and makes them alive, that takes old things and makes them new of a God that wants to provide and to rescue. And so uh, hear this, God wants you to be alive. He's not interested in dead sacrifices, which is why uh, we then make ourselves a living sacrifice. We go out with a bigger picture in mind to share hope, to communicate this love to the world of a God that is rooting for them, that is hoping for them, that is hoping for us, that is hoping for our world to make that love known. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's what it means for us to live as those who like Abraham, the promise given to Abraham, are blessed to be a blessing. Let's be that as a community. Let's pray.
God, thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us, for providing everything that we could not, for rescuing us, for hoping for us. God, we thank you and we love you. We love you, we love you. Thank you for life. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.